Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, May 5th, May 19th, excuse me, May 19th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Definitely worth your while. A lot of great listening over there. Uh, Truly, you'll run out of time to listen to all the things you're going to want to listen to from over there. All right. Well, we're going to be doing our um, Bible reading for this morning. We're going to do our Bible study this evening. And I know earlier in the week I said I was going to try to just run straight on into Saturday with the Bible study to get us five days of Bible study in this week. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm trying to work up a sermon as well as prepare a Sunday school class. So I just, I've got to have the extra time. So we will pick back up. We're going to do our Bible study tonight, and then we will finish up this section, God willing, Monday, Monday evening and move on to the next section in the Gospel of John. So let's go ahead and let's get started with our morning segment. Let's go ahead and open up with the six day morning prayer. It's called the Gospel. Let's pray. O thou most high, creator of the ends of the earth, governor of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners. Thy greatness is unsearchable, thy goodness infinite, thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion uh, this morning from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening is from Ecclesiastes 10.7. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. Upstarts frequently usurp the highest places, while the truly great pine is obscurity. This is a riddle in providence, whose solution will one day gladden the hearts of the upright. But it is so common a fact that none of us should murmur if it should fall to our own lot. When our Lord was upon earth, although he is the prince of the kings of the earth, yet he walked the footpath of weariness and service as the servant of servants. What wonder is it if his followers, who are princes of the blood, should also be looked down upon as inferior and contemptible persons. The world is upside down, and therefore the first are last, and the last first. 
See how the servile sons of Satan lord it in the earth. What high horse they ride, how they lift up their horn on high. Haman is in the court, while Mordecai sits in the gate. David wanders on the mountains, while Saul reigns in state. Elijah is complaining in the cave, while Jezebel is boasting in the palace. Yet who would wish to take the place of the proud rebels? And who, on the other hand, might not envy the despised saints? When the wheel turns, those who are lowest rise, and the highest sink. Patience then, believer, eternity will right the wrongs of time. Let us not fall into the error of letting our passions and carnal appetites ride in triumph, while our nobler powers walk in the dust. Grace must reign as a prince, and make the members of the body instruments of righteousness. The Holy Spirit loves order, and he therefore sets our powers and faculties in due rank and place, giving the highest room to those spiritual faculties which link us with the great King. Let us not disturb the divine arrangement, but ask for grace, that we may keep under our body and bring it into subjection. We were not new created to allow our passions to rule over us, but that we as kings may reign in Christ Jesus over the triple kingdom of spirit, soul, and body to the glory of God the Father. All right. Now to our reading, we're going to be reading 1 Samuel 24 and 25, uh, John 10, verse 22 through the end of the chapter, Psalm 116, Proverbs and Proverbs 15, verse 20 and 21. So, 1 Samuel 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepfolds on the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which Yahweh said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good in your eyes. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. And it happened afterward that David's heart struck him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of Yahweh that I should do this thing to my Lord, the anointed of Yahweh, to send forth my hand against him, since he is the anointed of Yahweh. And David tore, tore his men to pieces with these words, and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. Now afterward David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to do your evil? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that Yahweh has given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not send forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the anointed of Yahweh. Now, my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you, know and see that there is no evil or transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May Yahweh judge between you and me, and may Yahweh avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As for the proverb of the ancients, as the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? After a dead dog? After a single flea? Therefore Yahweh be judge and execute justice between you and me. And may he see and plead my cause and execute justice for me to escape from your hand. 
Now it happened that when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me, while I have dealt evil with you. And you have declared today that you have done good to me, that Yahweh surrendered, surrendered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May Yahweh therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. So now behold, I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. So now swear to me by Yahweh that you will not cut off my seed after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the fortress. All right, First Samuel 25. Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and lamented for him, and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose work was in Carmel, and the man was very great, and he had three thousand sheep and one thousand goats. And it happened while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the man's name was Nabal, and his, or Nabal, Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was good in insight and beautiful in appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. That David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, come to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say, Have a long life, peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you love all that you have excuse me so now i have heard that you have shearers now your shearers have been with us and we have not dishonored them nor have they missed anything all the days they were in carmel ask your young men and they will tell you therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes for we have come on a festive day please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son to david then david's young men came and spoke to nabal according to all the, these words in david's name then they waited but Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David, and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shearers, and give it to men whose origin I do not know? So David's young men went back on their way and returned, and they came and told him according to all these words. Then David said to his men, Each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword, and about four hundred men went up behind David, and two hundred stayed with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he rushed at them angrily. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not dishonored, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the field. They were a wall to us both by night and by day all the time we were with them shepherding the sheep. So now know and see what you should do, for evil is decided against our master and against all his household, and he is such a vile man that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail hurried and took two hundred loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of roasted grain and one hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she said to her young men, Go on before me, behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was happening as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain, that, behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. And she met them. 
Now David had said, Surely for a lie I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing we, we mi- I'm sorry, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. Then Abigail, Abigail saw David, so she hurried and dismounted from her donkey, and fell on her face before David, and bowed herself to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my lord pay attention to this vile man, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and wicked foolishness is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. So now, my lord, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, since Yahweh has restrained you from shedding blood and from saving yourselves, by saving yourself by your own hand. So now let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. So now let this gift which your servant woman has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who went about with my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for Yahweh will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of Yahweh, and evil will not be found in you all your days. And should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with Yahweh your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And it will be that when Yahweh does for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you, and appoints you ruler over Israel, then this will not cause stumbling or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having saved himself. When Yahweh deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you, who have kept me this day from bloodshed, and from saving myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought him, and said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to your voice and granted your request. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she did not tell him anything small or great until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, so that he became as a stone. Now it happened that about ten days later Yahweh smote Nabal, and he died. Then David heard that Nabal was dead, so he said, Blessed be Yahweh, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept back I'm sorry, and has kept back his servant from evil. Yahweh has also returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. Then the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel and spoke to her, saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. And she arose and bowed her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a servant woman to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail hurried and arose, and she rode on a donkey with her five young women, who went about with her, and she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. David had also taken Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both became his wives. Now Saul had given Michael his daughter, David's wife, to Palti the son of Laish, who was from Galim. All right, John 10, verses 22 through the end of the chapter. 
At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us openly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish ever, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones, to get, stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and continue knowing that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing. And he was staying there, and many came to him and were saying, While John did no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Psalm 116 I love Yahweh because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, so I shall call upon him in all my days. The cords of death encompassed me, and the distresses of Sheol found me. I found distress and sorrow, then I called upon the name of Yahweh. O Yahweh, I beseech you, provide my soul escape. Gracious is Yahweh and righteous, and our God is compassionate. Yahweh keeps the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for Yahweh has dealt bountifully with you, for you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before Yahweh in the land of the living. I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. What shall I give to Yahweh in return for all his bountiful dealings with me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of Yahweh. I shall pay my vows to Yahweh. O oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his holy ones. O oh, Yahweh, surely I am your slave. I am your slave, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of Yahweh. I shall pay my vows to Yahweh. O oh, may it be in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of Yahweh, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise Yah. And finally, uh, Proverbs 15, verses 20 and 21. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is gladness to him who lacks a heart of wisdom, but a man of discernment walks straight. All right. Well, that is our reading for this morning. I thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray um, this, that this will help you to stay in the word, to abide in the word, to continue in the word, as our Bible study was has been talking about over the last couple of nights um, in that pathway to freedom. Um, 
I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We're going to close out with one called Living for Jesus. Let's pray. O Savior of sinners, thy name is excellent, thy glory high, thy compassions unfailing, thy condescension wonderful, thy mercy tender. I bless thee for the discoveries, invitations, promises of the gospel. For in them is pardon for rebels, liberty for captives, health for the sick, salvation for the lost. I come to thee in thy beloved name of Jesus. Re-impress thy image upon my soul. Raise me above the smiles and frowns of the world, regarding it as a light thing to be judged by men. My, may thy approbation be my only aim, thy word my one rule. Make me to abhor that which grieves thy Holy Spirit, to suspect consolations of a worldly nature, to shun a careless way of life, to reprove evil, to instruct with meekness those who oppose me, to be gentle and patient towards all men, to be not only a professor, but an example of the gospel, displaying in every relation, office, condition, its excellency, loveliness, and advantages. How little have I illustrated my principles and improved my privileges. How seldom I served my generation. How often have I injured and not recommended my Redeemer. How few are those blessed through me. In many things I have offended, and all come short of thy glory. Pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Amen. All right, again, thank you for spending this time with me this morning, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, May 19th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. All right, well, we're going to be continuing on in our study in the uh, Gospel of John, John chapter 8, but let's go ahead and open up with a prayer. The prayer we're going to open up with from Valley Vision is called The Mover, The Mover. Let's pray. O supreme moving cause, may I always be subordinate to thee, be dependent upon thee, be found in the path where thou dost walk, and where thy spirit moves. Take heed of estrangement from thee, of becoming insensible to thy love. Thou dost not move men like stones, but dost endue, in, excuse me, but must endue, endue them with life, not to enable them to move without thee, but in submission to thee, the first mover. O Lord, I am astonished at the difference between my receivings and my deservings, between the state I am now in and my past gracelessness, between the heaven I am bound for and the hell I merit. Who made me to differ? But thee, for I was no more ready to receive Christ than were others. I could not have begun to love thee hadst thou not first loved me, or been willing unless thou hadst first made me so. Oh, that such a crown should fit the head of such a sinner! Such high advancement be for an unfruitful person, such joys for so vile a rebel. Infinite wisdom cast the design of salvation into the mold of purchase and freedom. Let wrath deserved be written on the door of hell but the free gift of grace on the gate of heaven. I know that my sufferings are the result of my sinning, but in heaven both shall cease. Grant me to attain this haven and be done with sailing. And may the gales of thy mercy blow me safely into harbor. Let thy love draw me nearer to thyself, wean me from sin, 
mortify me to this world, and make me ready for my departure hence. Secure me by thy grace as I sail across this stormy sea. Amen. All right, the evening devotion for May 19th for uh, Spurgeon's morning and evening. The text for it is from 1 Kings 19.4. And he requested for himself that he might die. It was a remarkable thing that the man who was never to die, for whom God had ordained an infinitely better lot, the man who should be carried to heaven in a chariot of fire and be translated that he should not see death, should thus pray, let me die. I am no better than my father's. We have here a memorable proof that God does not always answer prayer in kind, though he always does in effect. He gave Elias something better than that which he asked for, and thus really heard and answered him. Strange was it that the lion-hearted Elijah should be so depressed by Jezebel's threat as to ask to die, and blessedly kind was it on the part of our Heavenly Father that he did not take his desponding servant at his word. There is a limit to the doctrine of the prayer of faith. We are not to expect that God will give us everything we choose to ask for. We know that we sometimes ask and do not receive, because we ask amiss. If we ask for that which is not promised, if we run counter to the spirit which the Lord would have us cultivate, if we ask contrary to his will or to the decrees of his providence, if we ask merely for the gratification of our own ease and without an eye to his glory, we must not expect that we shall receive. Yet when we ask in faith, nothing doubting, if we receive not the precise thing asked for, we shall receive an equivalent and more than an equivalent. For it, as one remarks, if the Lord does not pay in silver, he will in gold. And if he does not pay in gold, he will in diamonds. If he does not give you precisely what you ask for, he will give you that which is tantamount to it, and that which you will greatly rejoice to receive in lieu thereof. Be then, dear reader, much in prayer, and make this evening a season of earnest intercession, but take heed what you ask. Amen. All righty. Well, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John chapter 8. All right. So, as we've been doing, we are in uh, <clears throat> a section from uh, John 8, verses 31 through 36, that uh, MacArthur calls, The Truth Will Make You Free, which makes sense since verse 32 says, And the truth will make you free. And that's really what this section talks about. So, I'm going to go ahead and back up to verse 30, because it kind of sets the stage for the uh, the six verses we're dealing with in this section. And so I'm going to be reading you John 8, verse 30 through 36, and then we'll get on into our study. Hear the word of the Lord. And he was speaking these things, many, I'm sorry, as he was speaking these things, many believed in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciple and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's seed and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. All right, well, like we've talked about before in John chapter eight, we, you know, we were kind of the initial section other than the section about the adulterous woman and the guys wanting to stone her and all of that. Uh, we've dealt with, um, Jesus proclamation that he is the light of the world. Um, 
And then we moved on to the section that, that led up to verse 30 here of how to die in your sin. And we saw that being self-righteous, being worldly, being unbelieving, and being willfully ignorant, um, which honestly we're seeing in our verses we're dealing with today. And then, like, like I said, we, we've entered into this section about the truth will make you free. And we first dealt with over the first three days of this week, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we dealt with the pathway to freedom. And we looked at those four parts of it, uh, verses 31a, 31b, 32a, and 32b, and they were believing in Christ, continuing in the word, knowing the truth, and being made free, which of course is critical, which honestly leads into what we're dealing with today. But that believing in Christ should lead you. Now, admittedly, it was talking about an intellectual belief. It wasn't talking about full saving faith, but believing in Christ. And then, then he goes on to say, if you're truly his disciple, you will go on to continue in his word, to abide in his word. And in doing that, you would continue on to knowing the truth, to, to knowing the actual truth. And we t- we've talked about how truth has changed, how the, the, the definition of truth has changed. It shouldn't have. I mean, it should be very, very clear. But, you know, we went through the Enlightenment, we went through, we've, we're, we're in postmodernism now, and both of those completely vary from what God says is true. And, and, and the fact is, um, my pastor said this relatively recently, and I thought it was perfect. I mean, it's a perfect way of saying it, that something is not true, or I'm see, that God does not say something and then it become true. God is truth, and so what he says is true. Jesus Christ is truth, and so what they say is true. It, it, it is true because it manifests from them, okay? But, but that's, not, that's not what our world wants, us, wants, to, wants to believe in. It doesn't want to believe in any, any objective truth, any, any objective fact. It is so caught up on... Um, on subjectivism and on, you know, um, you know, my, my truth is mine and yours is yours and mine depends on my life experiences and yours depends on yours, which is total bunk. Um, it is garbage. Um, none of those are true. Um, but, but that's the thing we run into that. But then, like I said, you believing in Christ and continuing in the word. And so you come to knowing the truth and in knowing that truth, you're made free. Like it said, and the truth will make you free. Verse 32 B. Which leads into our section today, verses 33 and 34. And MacArthur calls this the pretense of freedom. So we've been talking about the pathway to freedom. Here's the pretense of freedom. And listen to this. They answered him. So this is the Jews, okay? And we're going to talk about that for a minute. But they answered him. We are Abraham's seed and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So let's back up. They answered him. So, so we're talking about the Jews then again. Remember, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, that's verse 31. So this is the same people. So they answered him from what he had said. We are Abraham's seed. So, so I'm sorry. So wait a minute. I want to say this first. So don't forget what Jews means when John the apostle is saying that. So they answered him. This is still, so it could have been the Jews answered him. Remember what that means when John the Apostle is using that phraseology. He's speaking of the Jewish leadership, the religious leadership, the Pharisees and the chief priests, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. 
That's what he's speaking of, okay? And they go on to proclaim that they're actually free. So they, they answered him. We are Abraham's seed and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So they're, so they're, <laughs> so, you know, like I've said before, what Jesus is saying, he's not saying in a vacuum. So he doesn't randomly start saying, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. He wouldn't have said that to them. And, and I, I probably should have said this when I was the last couple of days, but let me, let me make clear. As I said about verse 34, when he's talking about being a slave of sin, the same is true of verses 31 and 32. He would not say those things. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciple and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. He would not have said that to them if they were not free. And they understand that. It, again, Jesus does not say anything in the scripture that is said in a vacuum. It is said specifically for a purpose. And in this case, he's making clear to them that they aren't free. And he goes on in verse 34 and confirms that. And we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit. But he said those things, making clear they're not free. And of course, they come back and they go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're Abraham's seed and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. Now, of course, you could ask the question and go, well, wait, why would they say that? Because the fact is, they had been enslaved by multiple. I, I, when I was reading through the commentaries, there's, there's like 10 different groups of people that have enslaved them to this point from their initial, well, I mean, actually from, wow, from back in their, um, in their enslavement in Egypt, there are like 10 different people beyond that, that people groups that have enslaved them or something like that. It was, it was a relatively hefty number. So they're not talking about physical enslavement. The fact is, at the time they're saying this, they are they are being lorded over it by Rome. Rome has them enslaved in a certain sense. Okay, so they're not talking about in a physical sense. What they are talking about here is that in in the um, national, in the racial, and in the religious sense, they've not been oppressed. You, you do have to realize that, that um, the majority of the Roman Empire, and you, you may already know this, but, but I don't know if you do, um, and I didn't. I, it was something I had to learn over the years, that when Rome went in and took over an area, in a lot of cases, it would leave governmental structures and stuff like that, or, or would adjust and, and um, shift governmental structures to make them work better and all, but it wouldn't sit there and try to just completely gut the existing, you know, because they wanted things to come up and running. They didn't want to be five, six years down the road for these new provinces to be profitable and functional. They, they wanted cash to be flowing into the Roman coffers. So that made no sense to them. But one of the things that they would impress on these areas is that they had to take up worship of the emperor. They had to take up worship of Caesar or whoever, whoever it happened to be, whether it was Augustus or whoever, you know, they had to take up that they had to take up the worship of the Romans. They could not continue in their own worship or, or it would be very highly curtailed if they could. The only people group they did not do that with was the Jewish people were the people in Israel. They did not do that. They allowed them to go ahead and practice 
their, their religious practices as they always had. Now they might, they might interact with them some, they might have some, you know, um, as long as, you know, it was kind of like, as long as your religious practices is, is not leading to rebellion against Rome, it's fine. But, but they did, they, they, the, the Jewish people were the only people they did not enforce their limitations on. So again, this is what they're saying. Hey, we've never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free now? Honestly, their statement's not true. Now, well, we are Abraham's seed. Yes, um, genetically, they were descended from Abraham. That is true. But they weren't truly Abraham's seed, and I'll get to you when I'm when I'm when I mean that when when I when I get ready to explain that. But when they're talking about they've never yet been enslaved to anyone, that's not necessarily so either. All you have to do is read through the histories. Um, which are the histories of the, in the, in the scriptures, um, read, read through Joshua judges, uh, first and second Samuel, which I'm reading through now in one of my other reading plans, um, first and second Kings for first and second Chronicles, um, into the prophets, it becomes very, very clear that they become easily enslaved to other religions. Um, uh, Solomon, Solomon himself allowed himself in his old age. And we actually brought that up, uh, maybe last week in Bible study that, that, Solomon himself let himself be enslaved by his wives. All the wives he had, they they were allowed to keep their own religions. They weren't converted to Judaism, so to the Hebrew faith. So he became enslaved to that and was led led down that path. So what they're claiming here is not true. They have been previously, and the fact is, whether they want to admit it or not, they are now. But of course, they go. How is it? How is it? How is it? You say you will become free. Again, they're resistant. They're resistant. They, they're, as we talked about, they're self-righteous, they're worldly, they're unbelieving, they're willfully ignorant, as, as Jesus has pointed out with them. But you know, when I first read this, the, the thing that I immediately jumped to my mind was John the Baptist's interaction with them. Um, this was in Luke 3, verses 7 and 8. So I'm going to read that to you. So he was saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized to him, I'm sorry, it's seven through nine that I've got. Sorry. So he was saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. But indeed the ax is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What, what John the Baptist was saying to them, and they knew, don't, don't get me wrong, this is not my interpretation, they knew, they knew that John meant this. This isn't me from 2,000 years down the road looking back and going, oh, he was saying this and they didn't get it. Oh, no, they, they knew exactly what he was saying. That they were trying, they tried to, tried to proclaim nationalistically that, hey, Abraham is our father and, and thus we are saved. Thus, thus everything is fine for us. Thus we are on the right path. And he's trying to say to them, yeah, from these stones out here, God could raise up children to Abraham. And then he goes on to make clear that the ax is already laid at the root of the tree. What he is saying is God is already ready to start hacking down the trees that bear bad fruit. Basically pointing out, if you're not bearing the true fruit of saving faith in God, saving faith in Jesus Christ, he is going to hack you down and throw you into the fire. 
Jesus is basically saying the same thing here. Um, and they're trying to come back up again. We are Abraham's seed. Again, like I said, genetically, yes, they were. They descended from Abraham. But they were not truly Abraham's seed in a full sense. And what I mean by that is that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham truly believed in God, truly believed the promises that God made, some that are still in place that have not been met yet. He believed, believed to the point where he was willing to sacrifice his son if it was necessary. Was willing to sacrifice Isaac. So he bore as flawed as he was. So don't, don't ever think Abraham was perfect or Isaac was perfect or Jacob was. Believe me, those three forefathers were not, or were not. Okay, they had enough of their issues. If you read through, you know, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books, uh, particularly Genesis, um, it becomes very clear that they were anything but perfect. But it becomes, it is very, very clear that they tended to think what was happening here in the first century and, and what starts happening within the, within the Christian church is people, Judaizers, run around and start telling the church, well, you've got to be circumcised because they're trying to say circumcision is what indicates that, that you are truly saved. And without that, you can't be. And of course, Paul and, Paul and Barnabas and them were going, no, 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 that is not so, um, and made very, very clear that that has nothing to do with it. The physical outward signs have nothing to do with it. And that's that's what Jesus is making clear here to them, is trying to say clear, clearly to them and that they're not getting, you know, we're Abraham's seed. They think they're Abraham's seed because they descend from him genealogically and because they're carrying out supposedly the same religion, except I've told you repeatedly, they're not. They have bastardized what God handed them. They have turned turned what was something beautiful from God into this hypocritical, nasty, um, non-functioning, non-true exercise in religion, not true saving faith. So they're not Abraham's seed, no matter what they think. Um, and the apostle Paul makes clear that there's more to being a true Jew, like we're talking about, than putting on the outward trappings, the outward clothing of it. Romans 2, 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision, sorry, circumcision, that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Again, making very, very clear that the faith is not what's on the outside. It's not what you put on on the outside to make a show, just like it's not circumcision itself. Again, it was very clear even when Abraham was given the practice of circumcision, that it was to be a reflection of the circumcision of your heart, of the cutting away of the dead, sinful, ugly stuff from your heart, a circumcision of the heart. It was clear even in Abraham's day that that's what that meant. But these folks didn't get it anymore. And honestly, people today don't either. So many people want to run around and put on put on the outward trappings, the outward clothings of faith, of religion. They don't have a saving faith in Christ. I'm sorry. The fact is, you can grow up in a Christian household. I mean, even, even a household that your mother and father are truly saved 
and continue to try to bring you the gospel. That does not magically make you, you you are not inherently saved. Fact, you are not inherently saved. It only comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in you to bring you to a place of regeneration and a place of saving faith. And that's what he's trying to say, that there's no outward trappings. I'm sorry, going to church every Sunday and every uh, weekday Bible study kind of thing. Those are the outward trappings. Yes, yes, they should be actions that happen because you have saving faith, but they don't, by just doing them, doesn't say you have faith, saving faith. They flow out of, they don't delineate, Okay. So that's what he's running into here. These guys are absolutely certain because they do all these things. Well, and and they are the religious elite and they're, you know, genetically, you know, and genealogically descendants of Abraham. Well, we've got it made. Everything's cool. So so honestly, they think that gives them a pass to behave however they want to. They they still truly believe that they're going to go to heaven. And they're not. Jesus being very clear. So so they say all that. They said, "How can you say this?" So Jesus responds, verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So again, we see the truly, truly, and what have I said about truly, truly? Basically, Jesus is saying, I'm coming at you with the hard truth and you better sit up and take, take heed of what I'm about to say, because it is life altering. It is, it is critical. It is important. And you're going to want to grab hold of this. And then he goes on, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Again, he's saying it to them. He's not saying it in a vacuum that, hey, here's a good idea. He's saying you, that you who commit sin are the slaves of sin. Um, And what is translated here, what gets translated here is commits. And I didn't actually look up the Greek word, but the implication here is showing sin as a life principle. Everyone who lives in sin is the slave of sin. Everyone who sinning, particular sins, overall sins, actually in this case, it's really meaning sin as a whole, not specific ones per se. They just, they all pile in together. But that saying that they are slaves of sin. And it's very clear about that. They are slaves of sin. Sin overrules them. Sin directs all they are. Sin saturates them. Um, all you have to do in any way, shape, or form is look back as, as ugly a period as it is. Look back at the chattel, chattel slavery of, of the United States. Of um, I guess it's mostly the 18th and 19th century, though I think there was some in the 16th or the 17th century as well. But look at what what that slavery did to those who were slaves. Um, and, and I'm not, I, I'm not talking specifically the abuse and the beatings and all that, but how their being a slave saturated who they were. And again, I'm not belittling any of it. Please don't miss misunderstand and mistake me and think, Oh, here, here, here's white bread. Try trying to come from his white privilege and all that. That that's not where I'm coming from. I'm just saying the, the, the way that, that the master controlled and manipulated everything around that slave. That's what Jesus is implying here is that if they're, if, if you are living in sin, if sin is a core part of your makeup, 
You are a slave to it and it directs everything you do. He's making clear to these guys that if this is the case, they're the, they're the bad fruit trees that, that um, John the Baptist was speaking of. The ax is at the foot of, at the foot of them and is going to chop them down that they are not in, in, as I've said before, you can be a slave of Christ or a slave of sin, a slave of Christ or a slave of Satan, but you can't be both or you can't be an in-between and believe me, a slave of sin, a slave of Satan, they're the same thing. Okay. I'm just making, saying it two different ways. So you understand that the, that these are the same. Okay. So he's being really, really clear here that if you're participating in this sin, and again, he's saying it to them because they are, he knows they are sinning constantly. They are sinning against themselves, against the the people around them. They're sinning against God. They are in direct rebellion against God, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, as we've said about, about, um, in our own sin, in, in our own world, in our own life that, um, and I think it's, um, actually Sproul has made this statement. We're in cosmic treason. If we are sinners, if we are not saved, if we are, if we are sinning, that is cosmic treason against a just God. These people are living in it. That that's what Jesus is saying here. Um, Second Peter two nineteen, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by a, what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Again, overcome by what he is overcome, by this he is enslaved. That's what I was speaking of. Overcome overcome, saturated with, um, controlled by that's what, what we're saying here. That that's, what's being said here. Um, is Jesus is saying, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Well, yeah, that was these guys, but that's you and me too. I mean, that that's in our world as well. That uh, <laughs> if we commit sin, we're the slaves of sin. If we are not, if, if we are not striving to walk the walk of sanctification, if we are not striving down that pathway to freedom, abiding in his word, knowing the truth, being his true disciples and the truth, making us free, then we are slaves of sin. And the only way that we sinners can be freed from sins from sin's grasp and its penalty is to be united with Jesus Christ and to be united with Jesus Christ. That was the pathway to freedom we dealt with. Like I just said, if we abide in his word, if we believe in Jesus, if we abide in his word, if we are truly his disciples, then we come to know the truth and that truth will make us free because then we are united with Jesus Christ. That that's where we've got to head. That's where we should be going. And again, I'm not saying that we can save ourselves or we can earn that. Please, please don't misunderstand that. That's not what we're saying. Um, what, what I'm, what I'm saying here though, is that that's what that pathway looks like. And that's what these folks are not getting. That's what these Jewish leaders are not getting. They think there's, there's, um, specific things they can do. They think because of their, um, because of their um, their forefathers and because God gave them the faith before, even though, like I said, they've twisted it, they think that's all that has to happen. And again, he's trying to make clear to them there's not. He's trying to show them the hope. He's trying to offer them the hope. That's why he said what he said in verses 31 and 32. 
And their response leads him to having to respond again. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin, making clear to them that you've got to stop. You cannot continue in this and neither can we. All right. Well, I'm sorry. I ran a little bit long tonight, but let's go ahead and let's close up with prayer. Um, We're going to close up with the six day evening prayer. It's called the mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator, in whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings, without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love. To live not to ourselves, but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert, and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. Um, I continue to pray that this time together in the word helps to equip you and edify you um, and bring you bring you closer in your walk of sanctification. Um, and if you're unsaved, it helps prepare you for the work of the Holy Spirit to bring you to a point of um, regeneration and repentance and saving faith in Christ. All right. Well, I hope you have a great evening. Again, like I said, this is going to be the last evening of Bible study for the week. And then we're going to go back to uh, just doing our Bible reading Saturday, Sunday. And then we're going to pick back up in this section Monday evening, God willing. Have a great night and a great weekend. And if your weekend plans um, don't include worshiping with the saints, change them. Figure out some way and change them. All right. I love you. Again, I hope you have a great weekend. Have a good one. God bless. Thank you.